Last week, we talked about the three numbers that make the case for starting and building something right now. About why 400,000, 17, and 32 trillion should make the case better than anything I could ever dream up about why now is the time to start something. You should listen to it if you haven't. We got a bunch of great feedback and my mom was happy I talked about her pizza. We ended last week with the story of young Brian on an aluminum boat in the South Carolina ocean, lightning crashing down, trying to make it back to shore. My dad, who was steering the boat, had picked a specific tree miles in the distance and it kept our course through the storm. Today, we're gonna talk about how to ensure you get to that tree, how to choose a path and pick tasks that'll get you there fast. This is the goal of an early stage entrepreneur. We use a high level framework called problems and opportunities and a remixed version of the Ivy Leap prioritization method to help you lay out the foundation for asymmetric growth. But first, I've got to talk about Steph Curry. People love Steph Curry. You love Steph Curry. We randomly have a bunch of listeners in Australia and India, and I bet even they smiled when I said Steph Curry's name. Quick Australian note for the American listeners. If you say rise up lights in your normal American accent, it sounds like a pitch perfect razor blades in an Australian accent. Try it. It is way more fun than it should be. Can you believe this podcast is free? Anyway, back to Steph. He's beloved and the reason is simple. Other than being a generally likable person, he reminds us of us. Physically, he's as outmatched on the court as we imagine we might be. He looks like a high school freshman who was called up from JV to varsity because everyone else got mono. And yet, he's got two MVPs and is one of the top few players in the league. And what's interesting for today and relevant to you is how he got there. Steph understands problems and opportunities. He could have easily looked in the mirror and seen all of his problems, not big enough, not fast enough, not athletic enough, and tried to fix them the way that most people try to fix those things in the gym and the weight room. He'd have gotten marginally better at each, aside from the height thing, and despite how hard he trained, he wouldn't fit in on an NBA court. His athletic ceiling is way too low, probably in the realm of mid-level college basketball player, which is the level he played in college. But Steph wanted to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and he knew he'd never get there through the same route players twice as athletic as him take. The opportunity he saw and leaned into was the skill he was naturally great at, shooting. If he became the best shooter on earth, literally, all his other flaws would be obsolete. Deciding to be the best shooter brings up some interesting questions, though. One of which is, what are the building blocks of being the best shooter in the world? Certainly, the mechanics of actually shooting well matter, but way before that, you've got to be able to get open so that you can shoot in the first place. Steph could never be able to do this based on his physical ability. He'd need better perception and decision-making to see gaps and pockets everyone else missed. So Steph started working on something called neurocognitive efficiency, the goal of which is to increase your ability to process sensory input. In sports talk, the goal is to slow the game down. Humans have about 260 million receptors in our eyes, taking in information and sending it to our brain through 2.4 million nerve fibers. It's an unimaginably complex system and has a huge impact on athletes. When researchers from Columbia University's psychology department performed studies on Babe Ruth, they found he had superhuman vision. 
he processed visual information 12% faster than normal people, and compared to average humans, his visual perception occurred 150% faster. He could hit baseballs better than anyone else because he effectively saw the ball for nearly three times as long as anyone else did. To improve his neurocognitive efficiency so he can get shots off, Steph does a bunch of drills that look preposterous. They include him wearing strobe goggles, which flash to overload his senses while he dribbles a basketball in one hand and catches and throws a tennis ball back and forth with his trainer with the other. He sets up discs all over the floor and walls that turn different colors as he sprints up and down the court dribbling the ball, with the colors triggering different moves he has to do. His shooting drills not only require him to make shots, but also to correctly identify colors and patterns flash in his periphery while he does. He and his trainer find these drills from all over. Some come from a handball legend in Denmark, others from the U.S. military. So what has all this got to do with you and your startup and your life? Absolutely everything. Because you're Steph Curry, but you probably haven't discovered your version of neurocognitive efficiency yet. The opportunity that will drive 90% of your success and take up 10% of your time. And the main reason is you haven't listened to a podcast that will help you build a system around problems and opportunities yet. But I've got good news for you. That's what we're doing today. After some sweet, sweet jazz music. This is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you got a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and apply for our March 31st cohort, cohort number 27. Cohort 26 just finished with one founder calling it, quote, the perfect mix of structure, accountability, and community. It was exactly what I needed to hone my focus and get more discipline to make giant strides with my startup. That sounds good. GetTackleBox.com. As I mentioned last week, we'll be retiring this model after cohort 30. So if you've been lurking, time to go. Also, I have to mention Indie.vc shutting down. It was an inspiration to all of us building real businesses that grew fast, but also had sensical business models. Bryce and the whole team did an amazing job testing out a funding model that was venture adjacent, and they paid the price for it, losing the majority of their LPs. We'll look to build on what they learned. Their efforts will not be in vain. Back to it. To be exceptional at something, whether that's being an athlete or building a company, you need to benefit from asymmetric upside. Think of it in granular absolute terms. Your average hour needs to move you significantly closer to a goal than someone else's average hour. Then you stack those hours and you win. This is a bit of a wild thing to wrap your head around. In something as competitive as startups or basketball, there's no way you'll simply put in more hours than someone else. That will not be how you win. What you choose to spend your time on and the hourly execution delta between you and others is far more important than the actual number of hours you put in. This is just productivity, but we stink at measuring it and usually think way more about velocity, the speed with which people get things done, rather than the impact the things they're doing truly have on our bigger goal. Most people can't even describe that bigger goal. To fix all this, you've got to embrace the difference between problems and opportunities. I sent an email to a bunch of Tacklebox alums, super smart, driven folks last week with a question. How could you get more out of each day? The answers I got fell into four general buckets. Number one, eliminate wasted time. This had things like don't go on Instagram, get a Peloton to be more efficient with my workouts, etc. Number two, eliminate or delegate work. 
getting stuff, particularly the administrative stuff, off their plate. Number three, eliminate personal time. People had variations of cutting back on their activities with friends, family, and work associates that weren't truly important to them. And number four, add something healthy. Meditation, sleep, exercise, diet, something to make them physically perform better. These are all fine. Good habits are important. And cutting out things that can certainly tighten the ship is great. But these answers make my point perfectly. We all have no freaking idea how to really get more out of our hours. We just try to cram more of the same stuff we do every day into them. Every solution emailed to me delivered marginal benefit. These founders' best idea for increasing their productivity was just shaving a few seconds off their marathon times. No one, not one of the roughly 20 people I emailed, responded with an opportunity. Our default is reactive and not proactive. We're wired wrong for this entrepreneurship stuff, and it's tough to break the habit. We need a system to do it. Teaser, that's what's coming. The answers from the alums created more time, but said nothing about how they'd leverage that time, which is the whole point of all of this. So what's an opportunity look like? The best way to describe it is through a quick story. I spoke with an entrepreneur of a now billion dollar business about a year or two ago. She told a story about her earliest days, before she'd raised any funding and before the business had taken off. She told me they'd been down to about $10,000 in the bank, her money that she'd saved, and they were about to go under. She was a great storyteller, and I remember putting myself in that position as she spoke. What would I do if I was down to $10,000? What can you really do with $10,000 to save a business? How the hell did she do it? She told me she put out a bunch of job postings and hired 15 salespeople in a few days. She offered them huge commission percentages for the month, and she also created a competition. Whoever sold the most in the next 30 days would get a $10,000 check. The company booked over $100,000 in sales that month, kept the five best salespeople on full-time, and, as I said, is now worth over a billion dollars. I remember literally doing a double take when I heard that. Whose instincts are to get down to $10,000 and roll the dice? Who takes $10,000, turns it into $100,000, and five great employees who you've tested? It's brilliant. She then told me how her team consistently met to go through opportunities. Things they could do that would fundamentally change the company, no matter how outlandish or seemingly risky they were. She said the things that seemed risky almost never actually were, and the outlandish things were pretty reasonable when you actually figured out how to implement them. Problems are reactive, opportunities are proactive, and they're scary. Your startup won't ever succeed if all you do is react. In the moment, it can feel like opportunities are a waste of time, but I did the math and it checks out. Let's say you decide to focus on two opportunities each week each having an expected success rate of 5%. Where am I getting the 5% from? I'm guessing. Maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 1%. It doesn't actually matter that much. The idea is that if you pursue roughly 100 opportunities over a year, a couple of them are going to work out. And when they do, they will matter. Maybe you're selling $250 digital courses on product management, and one of the opportunities you'll pursue is partnering with colleges to offer your course as an accredited summer school course they can white label. They're desperately trying to figure out what Zoom classes mean for summer school, and you're gonna help. You reach out to 25 schools over five weeks, five per week, which take you a total of two hours per week, 
And eventually one says yes. You pilot the program with that school, which helps you sell to 10 more schools, and you charge 10K for the white labeled product for the summer. You make $100,000 from it the first year, and that revenue becomes recurring and has the potential to grow vertically with more courses and horizontally to more schools. If you spend two hours per week for 50 weeks and everything you test fails except for the five weeks you spent trying to sell to a school, your expected value for the two hours you spend each week on opportunities is $1,000 per hour. And that's not even thinking of the net present value of this new line of business, which could make you a million bucks in year two easily. $1,000 per hour is what you pay a great CEO and the type of results you expect a CEO to get. And it's very rare that the problems you're solving, answering emails, revising your pitch deck for the 700th time, putting out tweets or LinkedIn posts from the company account, will have an impact anywhere near what that opportunity provided. That's a good way to break it down. Look at the work you do. Is this something a middle manager would do in a big company or the CEO? The CEO tasks are the big ones. They move the company. They create 90% of the value, when it's a good CEO at least. Lots of founders ignore these tasks early because there's so much middle management work to do because you're the only employee or one of two or three, and they forget that their job is not just to put out fires. They need to prioritize opportunities too. And this is where it gets tough because there will be trade-offs. If you hold the hours you've saved for opportunities sacred, and you should, you might end up ignoring 10 emails in your inbox from customers. You'll almost certainly lose customers from this, maybe one a week. Maybe you'll get a few bad reviews. This, you can feel in the moment. It's painful, especially if none of your other opportunities have paid off yet. This is when you need to remember your goals. You didn't get into this business to make 100% of customers love you with all your heart. You did it for some other reason, and that means there will be casualties. The boat will leak as you pursue opportunities, but when those opportunities pay off, they won't just fix the leak in the boat, they'll get you a 747. Focusing on opportunities over problems is counterintuitive, so we have a process for it at Tacklebox. It's a remix on the Ivy Lee method I first heard about in a James Clear article. Here's the original Ivy Lee method, and I'll link it in the show notes. First, at the end of each workday, write down the six most important things you need to accomplish tomorrow. Do not write down more than six tasks. Second, prioritize those six items in the list of their true importance. Third, when you arrive the next day to work, concentrate only on the first task. Work until the first task is finished before moving on to the second. Fourth, Approach the rest of your list in the same fashion. At the end of the day, move any unfinished items to a new list of six tasks for the following day. Fifth, repeat this process every day. The remix is to look at these tasks holistically. What, based on the six tasks you've written out, is your company prioritizing? Where are you headed? First, make sure that's somewhere you want to go. Next, label each of the six tasks. Is this something a middle manager would do or a CEO? Next, which of these tasks are fixing problems and which are opportunities? For the problems, how important are they really? Do they fit your North Star? Would you pay someone a thousand bucks to fix them? And finally, think a bit bigger. What opportunity could you pursue that would make all six of your tasks completely obsolete? Here's an example. If I had a task list for this podcast, it might include creating a social post to promote the pod, 
emails to potential guests, ideation on future pods, testing out some Spotify ads, and setting up better tracking analytics for the newsletter to see who's actually clicking and listening. Zooming out, the goal here is clearly podcast growth. All of those things are trying to get more listeners. What's an opportunity that can make all of these obsolete? What if I went on a podcast with 100,000 listeners and then 10,000 of those listeners subscribed to our pod? What if I sold the podcast to Fast Company or Inc. or Entrepreneur or some other media entity with a built-in listener base of a million people? What if I partnered with Harvard to do an idea to start up miniseries on their alumni who have started companies? Each of these would lead to more new subscribers than anything on the list, which is the goal. Now, the question is, is pure growth, number of listeners, really our goal for the pod? No, absolutely not. Because when we gain breadth, we lose depth. We can't nerd out on this stuff with a more casual audience, and nerding out is a must. But that, too, is telling. Your tasks will shine a light on what you're actually building towards and whether it's aligned with the vision in your head. Every week, I suggest a two-minute presentation to your business partner if you've got one, to yourself if you're a solo founder. Three slides and three slides only. Slide one, here is our vision. It's where we're headed. Hopefully, the slide never changes. Slide two, here are the opportunities we pursued this week that'll get us to our vision significantly faster. Don't worry about the problems. You'll do those naturally. Slide three, here are three potential opportunities we can pursue next week. This is where you earn your CEO badge. Be creative, be wild. Nothing is too big, nothing is too ambitious. Opportunities usually come from one of three places if you're looking for them. First, synthesis. Mash ideas together, like Steph grabbing from handball in the military. Second, business models. Grab a business model from another sector that hasn't yet been used in your sector and see how it looks. Third, amplification. Find a better way to leverage your resources to get the word out and grow aggressively. This is always a slower burn, but it can definitely work. There's nearly endless potential upside from opportunities and absolutely capped upside from problems. One gives you a shot at greatness. One ensures you'll be middle of the pack if everything goes right. So get weird. Get uncomfortable. Try some stuff. And if you don't have a startup and none of this resonated, at least now you know how to say razor blades with a flawless Australian accent. Have a great week. This was the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you liked this episode and you liked the show and you made it this far, I wouldn't hate it if you left us a five-star rating and a review. In fact, I'd love it. Anyway, have a great week.